Good morning. This morning's scripture reading will come from the book of Acts, second chapter, verses 37 and 38. Acts 2, 37 and 38. And I read. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. May God put a blessing for the hearers and doers of his word. Just over on uh, Fifth Street over here, we have a, a sign, a church sign. And we've had a lot of different expressions and verses on that sign over the years. Most of the time, people drive by that sign and we don't ever hear any feedback one way or another. But several years ago, we put something on that sign and we got responses. And I thought, that's odd. And then we got another response and that's odd. And then we had somebody come in and say, I want a Bible study. I want to know more about what is being taught in the church where you assemble. You know what was on the sign just out here? Four words, repent and be baptized. That's all the sign said, repent and be baptized. It had the scripture reference, Acts 2 verse 38. And people were responding and asking questions and some people objecting. Why would you put that on the sign? And the answer that we would give is, it's right here in Scripture. If you've got your Bible open to Acts chapter 2, please read with me. I'm going to reread what Will did just a moment ago, and I'm going to continue past there. Acts chapter 2, it's the day of Pentecost. It's the day the church began, and Peter has just told the crowd that they crucified Jesus. Like literally, with their own hands, they had put him to death. And it says in verse 37, now when they heard this, that they had crucified Jesus, they were cut to the heart and said to the, Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, verse 39, is for you and for your children, for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. When Peter said, repent and be baptized, nobody 2,000 years ago that was listening to Peter said, well, wait a minute, what's baptism? Nobody stopped and said, we, we don't understand what that word means. We don't know what that is. Because they all knew exactly what baptism was. John the Baptist, the baptizer, his whole ministry was about preaching in the wilderness. Make way, prepare the way of the Lord. You can read about his ministry in Mark chapter 1 and in Matthew chapter 3, for example. And John, when somebody would come to John and say, what should I do? I, I want to get ready for the Lord. I want to be ready for the Messiah to come. John would say, be baptized. 
And John would take them down to the Jordan River and John would immerse those people and lots of Jews did that. In fact, many, many, many multitudes came to John and were baptized by him. And then when Jesus began his ministry, guess what Jesus and the apostles would do? When somebody would say, I want to become a disciple, I want to follow you, Jesus, I want to show that I really belong to you and I'm, I'm, I'm your servant, Jesus and his apostles would baptize. Read John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. The scripture says that there came a point in his ministry when Jesus was baptizing more people than John was. There in John 4, verse 1, and then John puts in parentheses, but Jesus himself did not do the baptizing, only his apostles did. But my point is, when Peter said on the day of Pentecost, repent and be baptized, Peter was a known follower of Jesus, as were the rest of the apostles. And these people knew John the Baptist's ministry, and they knew the ministry of Jesus, and they knew what those men had done. And so when Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you for the remission of your sins, there were very few objections. And in Acts 2.41, the Bible tells us that that day about 3,000 people were baptized. So I ask you this question. If you put the words repent and be baptized on the church sign, why do people object? If you put the words repent and be baptized in the church bulletin, why would people be upset? Because it seems to me that we're just asking people to do exactly what God commanded the people 2,000 years ago to do. Repent, that's changing your life, changing your mind, changing the way you're living, and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Isn't it interesting how simple the Bible is and yet how many people want to change and twist what it says. Let's do this with our study this morning as we think about these words, repent and be baptized. We're going to talk first of all this morning about the significance of baptism. What is it? What does it do? What does it mean? And then we're going to follow that up by listing some things that baptism will not do because there are some misconceptions. And finally, we'll turn our attention to what baptism will do. Open your Bibles, if you would, first of all, to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, as we think about the significance of baptism, I just want to use this passage alone and talk about why baptism is important. What does God say? Doesn't matter what I think, what you think, what somebody else thinks, what some preacher down the street thinks, doesn't matter. What matters is the Scripture. What does God say this is? And I want you to read with me in Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. He is writing to people who are already Christians. That's important to keep in mind. The people in Romans 6 verse 3 are already Christians. And Paul is alluding to, he's reminding them of their baptism, what happened in their past. And so all of this is past tense. Don't you remember? Don't you know? Things that happened in your past when you were baptized. But listen what he says. Romans 6 verse 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Romans 6 verse 4, we were buried with him, therefore by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him, with Christ, in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with Christ in a resurrection like his. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. What is baptism? The scripture talks in this passage in verses three, four, five, and six about a death. And it talks about a burial. And it talks about a resurrection. Notice in verse three, we died with him. Jesus died on the cross. Notice in verse four, we are buried with him. Jesus was buried in a tomb. And then in verses four and five, there's a resurrection. He rose to walk in newness of life on the third day. That's the gospel. That's the message that we preach. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4 speaks about the gospel message that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. That's what the gospel is, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now watch this. As you look at Romans 6 verses 3, 4, 5, and 6, Paul is saying to people who are Christians, he's saying, when you were baptized, you died with Christ. Do you see that in verse four or verse three? We died with him. In fact, how shall we who died with him continue any longer in sin? You know what dying to sin means? If you wake up in the morning, there's a world of possibility open to you. If you wake up tomorrow morning, if God by his grace allows you to wake up and you live tomorrow, you've got a world of possibility. You could do a lot of things. You could write a book. You could write a friend. You could go jogging. You could get on an airplane and fly somewhere. You could do a lot of things. There's a lot of possibilities. But if you die, those possibilities are at an end. All the things that you could have done, those are no longer options. When somebody dies to sin, it means that I'm saying in my heart and I'm saying it publicly, sin is no longer gonna be an option for me. It was a world that I lived in, it was what I've done with my life, but I'm dying to sin. I'm saying to God and to myself and to everybody around me, I'm not going to live this way anymore. And baptism is the point it speaks about at which in our repentance and in our turning away from the way we've been living, we die with Christ. And then in the act of baptism, Paul says, I didn't make this up, it's right there in your text, we are buried with Christ by baptism. You see the guy on the screen that's burying that man in the water? They didn't just sprinkle a little bit of dirt on Jesus. They didn't just pour a little bit of dirt on Jesus. They put him in the tomb. They covered the tomb with the stone. Baptism is not sprinkling or pouring, brothers and sisters and friends. It's burial. It's an immersion in water. And the Bible says there's significance to this. We are being buried with Christ. And then, how did Jesus come back from the dead? What does the text say? If you're looking at Romans chapter 6, what does it tell you? It says that in verse four, Jesus was raised from the dead. Notice that that's passive voice. Jesus was there dead in the tomb and the Bible says that he was raised. In other words, it's not saying in this passage that he raised himself. It's saying that somebody else did it for him. Who raised Jesus from the dead? According to verse four, it was the glory, the power of the Father. 
God raised him from the dead. And then it says, even so, we also might walk in newness of life. What it's saying in verses four and five and six is that when God raised Jesus from the dead, he used tremendous power, power that brings the dead back to life. And that same power is being accessed when we are raised out of the waters of baptism. That's what Romans 6 verses 3 through 6 teaches. Don't you remember Paul's saying? Because these Christians were act, a- asking, can we keep on living in sin? Can we keep on doing whatever we want? And Paul's saying, no, you can't do whatever you want. You died to sin. It's no longer a possibility. You were buried with Christ. You bury a dead man, and then you were raised by God to walk, not in sin, but in newness of life. You were raised to walk a different way than you were walking before. That's the point. And when somebody says, well, what is baptism? What does it mean? Baptism is an experience with God. And the reason I know that's true is because Romans 6, verses 3, 4, 5, and 6 tells me it's an experience with God. We are dying with Christ. We are being buried with Christ. We are being raised with Christ to walk in newness of life. Repent and be baptized. It's how we become children of God. It's how we become raised spiritually from the dead. That's the significance of it. With that in mind, let's turn our attention for a few moments to some things that baptism will not do. Because, misconceptions, baptism sometimes is misunderstood and misrepresented. What will it not do? Number one, baptism will not earn your salvation. As if you could accumulate enough points or enough credits where you can go and stand before God and say, God, here's what I've done with my life, here's what I've earned, Pay me what you owe me. That is not how salvation works. In Colossians 2, verses 12 through 14, the Bible speaks about baptism and it says, we are dying to ourselves, we're being buried with faith in the working of God. The idea that when we're being buried in those waters that we believe, we can't save ourselves, we can't get rid of our sins. We can't, uh, we can't pay the price, the penalty for what we've done. We can't do any of those things. We're putting our trust and our faith in God and in what Jesus did for us at the cross. Baptism is something that we do in response to the grace and the glory of God. It's something we do in response. It is accepting a gift and that's all it is. It's accepting what Jesus has done and the blood that he shed into your life. Baptism does not earn one single thing, but it does accept God's word and God's will and the blood of Jesus at the cross into our lives. What does baptism not do? Secondly, it doesn't grant us a license to sin. Romans 6 verse six, if you're still there, again, the old man was crucified with him We're not going to be slaves to sin anymore. Romans chapter 6 verse 12 tells us that we are to reckon ourselves to be alive to God. We're to present our members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now that we've been baptized, our whole purpose in life is to go about being servants of God. Shunning evil. We died to that. We died to sin. I don't want to do that anymore. And living for Jesus. Baptism does not say, okay, your slate's been wiped clean, do whatever you want. The blood of Jesus will just take care of you. That's not what it does. Third, baptism, and some new Christians really struggle with this, it doesn't mean that temptation goes away. 
The things that tempted you before you were baptized are still gonna tempt you sometimes even stronger after you're baptized. In 1 Corinthians 10, verses 12 and 13, Paul warns us, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And in verse 13, he says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man, but God is faithful. In that, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to bear, but will instead provide a way of escape in the temptation. We're still gonna be tempted, even though we become Christians. We're still going to sometimes give in to temptation. But here's the key. In my mind and in my heart, am I still trying to serve God? Am I still trying to walk in the light? Am I still trying to be the kind of person that Jesus wants me to be? I'm still gonna face temptation and I'm sometimes going to give in to that. But where's my heart and where's the direction of my life and what am I striving to do with my life? Baptism won't keep temptation away from you. Baptism won't remove the consequences of sin. If you are guilty of tax fraud, you cannot be baptized and then go to the IRS and say, well, I don't owe any more money because I've been baptized and God said all my sins were washed away. Baptism does not remove the consequences of sin. But it does take away the guilt and the penalty of sin. What does baptism not do? It doesn't remove problems from your life. If I were to ask for a show of hands, how many of you got problems? I'm not asking because I know what your answer is gonna be. How many of you got problems? Well, it's me, 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 everybody. Everybody's got problems. Christians have problems, don't we? Baptism did not remove the problems from our lives. In fact, I would say this. If I were the devil, I would work the hardest I could on Christians. I'd see every way I could possibly try to get into their lives and to hinder them and to discourage them and to make them just give up. 2 Timothy 3.12 reminds us that all who live righteous in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, among other things. It won't remove the problems from your life. What will baptism not do? It will not relieve a person of further responsibility. In that passage we read at the very beginning of the lesson this morning, Acts 2, after verse 41, when those 3,000 were baptized, you know what they did in verse 42? Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers, they kept on, they kept on, they kept on serving the Lord, glorifying God, teaching other people about Jesus, praising and worshiping God together. There's responsibility that comes with immersion, with being baptized. Because what we're doing is we're saying to God, God, I wanna belong to you and, and I wanna live for you from now on. Those are the things I really want. There's responsibility associated with that. Baptism will not cover up for a lack of faith and repentance. We do not baptize infants. The reason why we don't baptize infants is because, number one, God says they are innocent. Read Matthew 18 verses one through four, for example. Many other passages could be added to that. But number two, infants are not capable of the kind of faith and repentance and obedience that Jesus demands. 
Baptism will not cover up and say, well, you haven't repented and you don't really believe, but as long as we're baptized, everything's going to be okay. And the same thing is true of older folks. If it's not in my heart, if it's not in your heart that I really want to make this commitment to live for Jesus and to serve Him and to be a part of His church, if that's not really what I'm all about, we're just getting wet. That's all there is to it. Hebrews 11 verse 6 tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Baptism is a response of faith to the commandments of God. Baptism will not save a man against his own will. Acts 2.41, those who gladly received the words of the apostles, they were baptized. Think about all the people that weren't. The apostles did not try to compel them and, and, and pressure them and say, well, but the rest of you really need to do. The Bible says, with many other words, Peter exhorted, he challenged, he said to the people, you need to be saved from this perverse generation. This is a really difficult world to live in and you've got sin in your life. But not everybody chose to be baptized that day. My grandfather always had a phrase, and I, I know he picked it up somewhere else, but he used this a lot. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Think about that. Sometimes people try to strong arm and pressure somebody to be baptized. You really need to do this. If you're doing this and you're pressuring somebody against their will, has there really been repentance? Is there really faith? What baptism will not do. Let's turn our attention briefly to what baptism will do. As you read the scripture, and I challenge you, I ask you, read the passages that we're referencing on the screen this morning. Look at them and ask, is what we're saying true? And if, if you find fault with this, I would love to hear and, and I'd love to visit in, in all sincerity, because I don't want to be wrong about telling people what they need to do to be saved. What will baptism do? It'll wash away sins. Acts twenty-two sixteen. Saul of Tarsus, he was arrested, quote unquote, on the road to Damascus by Jesus. And he saw the bright light and he went on into Damascus and he spent three days in, in prayer and fasting. And finally, God sent Ananias, a preacher, to Saul. And you know what Ananias said in Acts twenty-two sixteen? He said, why do you tarry, Saul? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. And somebody says, well, Saul been there praying and, and, and fasting for three days. Certainly his sins were washed away. That's not what Ananias told him. Ananias said, hurry up, go be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That's when sins are forgiven. When we're immersed and buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. That's the point, not before. Not at some point previous and then we just have a baptism Sunday and everybody comes down and is all baptized at once. No, it's, it's about a responsive faith. It's about me saying I'm outside of Christ and I need my sins forgiven. And I want that experience with God. That's what baptism is. And God says, this is what it means. It means I'm being buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. It washes away sins. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, Acts 2.38. What will baptism do? It will save a person's soul. 
1 Peter 3, 20 and 21, Peter makes the analogy, the ark in Noah's day was saved, it was delivered by water, and so in like manner, baptism also saves us. 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. What will baptism do? It puts a person into Christ, Galatians 3, 27, and we just read it in Romans 6, verse 3. Preachers of yesteryear were famous for saying, and they were right to do so. In your English Bible, there are only two verses in your entire New Testament that tell you how to get into Christ in that language. How do I get into Christ? If I'm outside of Christ, how do I get into Christ? Galatians 3.27, Romans 6.3. We are baptized into Christ. Read those verses and see if that's not what the Bible tells you. And so sometimes somebody comes along and says, well, how did you get into Christ? The Bible says we're baptized into Christ. What will baptism do? It identifies us as a son of God. Matthew 3.15, that, that was one of the sermons that John the baptizer preached. Who are the sons? Is it the inherited physical genealogical descendants of Abraham? No. The ax is at the root of that tree, John said. The sons are those who believe and obey, repent and are baptized. Jesus called it the new birth. In John 3, 5, he spoke to Nicodemus and he said, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. Being born of water and the spirit, what do you mean, Jesus? He's talking about baptism. How do I participate in the new birth? How am I born into God's family? Baptism. What will baptism do? It puts one into the body of Christ. Not infrequently, people come and maybe they'll ask one of the elders or they'll ask me or Jordan or KJ or Daniel or somebody. They'll say, I, I wanna join the church. How do I become a part of the Katy church? How do I join? And it's kind of confusing to respond this way, but it's biblically accurate. I understand it's kind of confusing because they're asking a question and they think they know what they're asking. And I'm not being disrespectful or rude in, all the, in any of that. But, but when we answer from the Bible, the Bible says nobody joins the church in the way that we as Americans would think of joining. We just think, you know, there's one church over here and one church over there. And I'm just going to join the one that seems to fit my life the best. And that's, that's what I do, you know, kind of like you join a club or a gym or something like that. But the Bible says no. The Bible says that God is the one who doesn't, he doesn't say come join, he says come respond to me and I, God says, will add you to my church. And so as you look at Acts 2.47, the Bible tells us that those who are being saved were added to the church. Or in Ephesians 5.23, as we submit to Christ, we are added to his church. We're part of, we belong to him because we're submitting to his will. And so when somebody says, well, how can I join or become a part of or become a member of? God's the one that adds us to the church. And it's up to God to set the standard and the, the law by which all of us can come to him and be a part of his family. And that's where we're coming from and responding to that. It puts us into the body of Christ. Baptism doesn't just save us from our sins. Baptism adds us to the one church that we read about in the Bible. What does baptism do? It's not the end, it's the beginning. It begins your life as a new creation. God makes us new. 
I mean, think about all the things that we've talked about this morning that the Bible says God does in baptism. He raises us from the dead. He, he, he brings us into a new birth. He, he causes us to be buried and raised with Christ with that sacrifice. He causes us to be identified with that. And the Bible says he makes us a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He makes us new. He wipes the slate clean through the blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice on the cross. That's the ground of our salvation. That is the place where we find the justification that we need. It's what Jesus did at the cross. It's why we remember him every week in the Lord's Supper because the ground of our justification, the reason why we can be saved is because of what Jesus did, not because anything we do. But when do we contact, when do we accept that sacrifice? When do we allow for that to become part of our lives? When does that happen? It happens when we respond in baptism. How are people saved? We're saved by the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But when are we saved? We're saved when we identify with Jesus in the waters of baptism. It begins our life as a new creation. And from now on, from this day forward, if I'm baptized, I'm gonna live for Jesus. And the new life in Christ is a life that never wears out. It never grows old. No matter how long you live as a Christian, there's always something new to do for God. There's always something new to learn. There's always a growing that takes place. It's a beautiful life, a wonderful life, a blessed life. Baptism is the beginning of that. So what about you this morning? Can we help you to be baptized? Is there something that is lacking in your life and you realize that you need to reorient completely and live for Him, live for God? If we can help you do that this morning, we'd love the opportunity to talk to you more, to visit with you, to study with you. Or if you're ready, we'd love the opportunity to baptize you. If we can do that, or if we can pray for you, won't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.